Hi, I'm Raphael Honigstein, and you're listening to the Bavarian Podcast Works. Hello and welcome in to yet another episode of the Bavarian Podcast Work Show in our relatively new format where we talk about the biggest news stories that happened over the last week, what we can expect for games in this coming week, and any other fun things that we find. And yeah, it should be it should be fun time. Let us know what you think about it. And yeah, so happy March 366th of the year 2020, everybody. Uh, we haven't left 2020, but uh, we're recording at least on March 366th. Tomorrow when we release the episode, it'll be March 367th, and the title of this will reflect as such. So I am joined for this by Tom Adams. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm actually doing quite well right now. I just finished myself a very, very tasty pasta and chicken penne while I was finishing up watching the Bundesliga highlights show, catching up on some Europa League uh, and Champions League highlights from last week that I didn't get to see. So life is good. And Jake, just as you mentioned, it is hard to believe that we're almost coming up on a year to the date where coronavirus just basically stopped the world as it is. And I really still don't want to believe that a year has passed since then because that's just too crazy to think about you know time basically isn't even real at this point exactly exactly we really haven't left nothing has convinced me that we have left 2020 because everything still feels about the same so for that reason we are going to talk about some more fun things uh more interesting things and basically give you guys a preview of what this week should look like in and around german soccer so we are going to start off by taking a look at the teams playing in the dfb pokal then we will recap other bundesliga teams performance in europe how they fared, and then we will hit a couple of rapid-fire points at the very end. So we'll start off again with the DFB Pokal. Two games per day on Tuesday and Wednesday, the quarterfinals. At least that was how it was supposed to be, because the first game that we were going to see, a team in the Zweite Liga and a team that is flirting with potentially going down to the Zweite Liga, it is Werder Bremen playing uh, SSV Jan Regensburg, a team from Bavaria, I believe the only Bavarian team in the quarterfinals. Uh Major problem, though, Jan Regensburg recently uh, found that... A- good portion of their team had come down with a variant of COVID-19 and therefore they will have to delay this fixture at least for two weeks to make sure the entire team has gotten rid of it and in that time they are set to miss two league games in addition to this Pokal match so Tom I guess we could start off here um if this game was going to be played tomorrow, right? We have a Regensburg team that beat Köln on penalty kicks. Uh, Werder Bremen beat Greater Firth uh, 2-0. So, do you th- who who would you tip in this if it was being played as normal? And seeing as it isn't, do you think that is going to help or hurt either of the teams? outside of the obvious being sick, caught with COVID? Well, I think for a tie like this, the onus is always going to be on Werder Bremen being the Bundesliga side. Uh, They're in a bit of a a patchy run of form in the Bundesliga itself. A draw against Freiburg, a 4-0 loss uh, at Hoffenheim recently, though they did this weekend beat Eintracht Frankfurt. uh, A 1-1 draw with Schalke, the dumpster fire that is, Schalke 04, just at the end of January. So... A difficult spot for Florian Kohfeldt and his his side, but Jake, as I mentioned, I think, like I said, the onus is always going to be on Werder Bremen, so in a way, I think this slightly benefits both teams. Uh, I think both teams can, obviously, Regensburg has to take their rest. Uh, they have to make sure people recover from the virus. They have to present some negative tests. As you said, uh, at least in two weeks' time, uh, Werder Bremen, I believe in that span, has a match against FC Köln, Armenia Bielefeld, and then uh, midway through March, they play us. 
at the Vesterstadion. So not the easiest run for them, but against FC Köln and Armenia Bielefeld, chance for them to pick up points and get some momentum before they would have to play this tie. Uh, and another thing I would say too is this is always where you fall into the the argument. You know, I know it's been a big issue in England where. You know, people from the outside looking in, or, or punditry, is going to say that the Premier League clubs are having more access, excuse me, to testing, uh, facilities, medications, the proper sports science when it comes to coronavirus than say some of the EFL Championship teams or uh, a lot of the non-league teams across England. I think we've seen across the board that um, there's been a lot of COVID cases amongst the lower league teams and a lot of situations where players have had it where they might not have known because testing facilities and, and testing kits might not be as widely available. So I think that might be a little bit the same between Bundesliga clubs and non-Bundesliga clubs. It might be a little bit different because it is a different country. This isn't England. This is Germany we're dealing with. But I think that's certainly a case for argument. Uh, so if I'm Jan Regensburg, I'm, I'm looking at this as... Uh, a blessing in disguise the fact that they can wait two more weeks before this tie is played hopefully they can still train properly hopefully they can still uh, keep momentum uh, and not have uh, too much of a gap between playing matches as you mentioned potentially missing uh, a few league matches in the build-up to this but again the onus is always going to be on Werder Bremen when the time comes and I'll be interested to see how it goes when the when the tie is actually played so again that tie being delayed a couple of weeks but we do have ourselves a fantastic game later on in that day, it is Borussia Dortmund against Borussia Mönchengladbach, another Borussia derby for us this year. Uh, Mönchengladbach beat Stuttgart 2-1 in order to get here. Uh, Borussia Dortmund beat Paderborn 3-2 in order to get there. 3-2 is also the scoreline that Dortmund beat Sevilla in the Champions League. We will talk about that later, and we will also talk about Mainz, who also had two goals scored in their uh, Champions League game, but it wasn't for them. It was for the opposite team. So, this is going to be a fun game. This is going to be a fantastic game. You got Erling Haaland, and you got Gio Reyna and Marco Royce on a Borussia Dortmund team that seems to have stabilized ever since they really got Edin Terzic as their head coach. It took them a little while to get used to it, but at least over the last couple of games, they've remained a little bit steady against a Gladback team with a locker room in chaos. They have lost three out of their last five. They have not won any of their last five. Uh, after it was announced that Marco Rosa, their current head coach, is going to Dortmund, so this is going to be fun, almost in the sense of Niko Kovac versus Bayern Munich in the Pokal final when he took Eintracht there and beat Bayern. It's a similar situation with Marco Rosa playing his future employer in the quarterfinals, but in the meantime, that is disrupted the locker room aggressively over at Mönchengladbach. Despite that, they still have some fantastic players. Lars Stindl, Florian Neuhaus, Jan Zomer in goal, uh, Matthias Ginter on the back line, and of course we have to talk about the attacking as well. Brianna Mbolo still, uh, I believe, living it up. I'm not exactly sure if he's still suspended, but he has had a bit of a rough go at it over the last couple of months, especially in terms of following the rules and keeping COVID protocol. But he's also joined by players like Marcus Taram up top. So, Tom, this one we actually do know a decent bit about because we know both teams relatively well. Who do you like in this one? Well, Jake, as you mentioned, a lot of individual players on Dortmund's squad experiencing a bit of revival. Erling Haaland seems to have found his form in front of goal again. Jaden Sancho has rediscovered his form. Gio Reyna, as you mentioned, Marco Royce, uh, even Mahmoud Dayoud, who has had a couple of solid performances, including a sensational curling goal against Sevilla in the Champions League, which I know we'll get into a bit later. But just because of that, and as you mentioned, uh, with Edin Tazic, you know, I think he's the type of guy that the players trust a lot. He's been in and around the club for quite some time now. And as you mentioned, with the announcement that uh, Gladbach's Marco Rusa will be taking over Borussia Dortmund next season, I think there's kind of an element now at, at Dortmund of what is there to lose, especially from the player standpoint, you know? Who exactly that's left in the squad? Do they have to be impressing if they know Edin Tazic isn't going to be the main man? Uh, obviously, this is a great opportunity since they're squaring up against Gladbach to make a first impression, so to speak, for Marco Rosa. And a lot of people, you know, Dortmund, we're going through a very rough patch. I think it's 
painfully obvious to to see that and the conversation quickly turned to yes they got past Paderborn uh, in the third round of the day Bay Pokal but we're barely scraping by in the, in the Bundesliga and crawling dangerously further and further away from the top four but now Jake they've kind of clawed their way back especially after that inspired performance in Seville in the Champions League uh, coming off of that they won 3-2 obviously in the first leg the 4-0 Riviera Derby win over Schalke, and then this weekend, absolutely dominating DSA Armenia Bielefeld, um, 3-0. So I think they've got the proper form. They're on a on a fine a fine run at the moment. This couldn't be a better time for Dortmund to square up against Gladbach. My money was have to be on them. Uh, I just like the way they're playing right now. They're brilliant on the counterattack, brilliant in possession when they need to be. Uh, and, you know, this is going to be a good one because it's a big week for them. So... You know, from the Bayern standpoint, and taking off the neutral hat for a second, you would hope that they expel as much energy as possible ahead of a certain very, very big match coming up this week on, on Saturday at the Allianz Arena. But still, if I'm a betting man, I'm putting my money on Dortmund. No discredit to Gladbach, but Jake, as you mentioned, they're on a bit of a, a difficult run of form. They obviously had to face Manchester City and Budapest. In the Champions League, Pep Guardiola's Manchester City, probably one of the last teams anybody would want to face in Europe right now next to Bayern. So it hasn't been easy for them. I thought they shown well for themselves. I know we'll get into that a little bit later in this pod, but uh, I'm going to have to go with Dortmund. And like I said, hopefully they expend as much energy as possible ahead of next weekend or this weekend rather. Moving on to Wednesday's slate of games. The first game would have been what Bayern played in. And let's... I'm going to take a step back for a second from the anger, and I'm going to say this. I am very glad that Bayern did not draw the team that they are playing. Rotweiss Essen against Holstein Kiel. Kiel obviously being the team that beat Bayern on penalty kicks in order to get here, but Rotweiss Essen is this year's Saarbrücken. They are the only fourth division team left in the Pokal. They made it all the way to the quarterfinals. They beat Bayer Leverkusen 2-1 in order to get here. They're currently second in the Regionalliga Vesta behind Borussia Dortmund's second team. So that's interesting for a battle at the top over there. A 3-1-1 record in their last five. So... Doesn't matter who we think is going to win. We know we are pulling for Rotweiss Essen. One, because Kiel beat us and we're very sad about that. And two, I love recurring storylines. So, Tom, what do you want? What do you expect out of this one? 100% with you. I'm Rotweiss Essen all the way. Get a little bit of revenge on Holstein Kiel. It's kind of funny that the two of the non-Bundesliga sides drew to play against one another. And it's kind of funny. You would consider a Cinderella story perhaps any team that's outside of the Bundesliga. So if Holstein Kiel is a Cinderella story, then I think we have to pick another uh, Disney princess to perhaps be the Rottweiss Essen or you know, whatever noun you want to use for that story because that would be even more credible. And Jake, I remember last season, I hope we see more of, I believe it was Saarbrücken's goalkeeper. What did he save? Like four penalties uh, in one match in the uh, last season's day, if people call knockout. So I would love to see that again. Rottweiss Essen heroics in the penalty shootout. A little bit of eye for an eye with Holstein Kiel. Get a little bit of revenge for us and come on, Rottweiss Essen. Hopefully Essen is uh, going to be able to keep it up. Rottweiss Essen, a city or a team from a city so delicious they decided to name it after the german word for food so final game that we are going to see tomorrow is they or sorry uh wednesday uh wolfsburg versus Erbe leipzig so this will be fun That'll be an interesting matchup as well. More importantly, because both of these teams have drawn their last two matches against each other. Wolfsburg knocking out Schalke 2-0, 4-1-0 in their last five Bundesliga games, playing a RB Leipzig team that are 5-0 in the league, though they did recently lose a Champions League game, and we will talk about that a little bit later. But they beat Valefeld Bochum 4-0 in their game leading up to this. So this will be fun. This will be interesting. Tom, you have special insight into how to demolish Leipzig, considering your uh, your other team is currently up on them. But what do you expect, I want to say, from Wolfsburg in this game? Uh, they're obviously the underdogs going into this, but keep in mind, this is a close game. This is a very close game. 
It is a battle between the teams currently occupying second and third in the Bundesliga table. It'll be a good one. It'll be a good contest. Who do you like? Well, for those of you who've actually been following us on social media, on Twitter, that is, you'll know that a couple times in the recent past, uh, VFL Wolfsburg's English-speaking account, uh, they've made a lot of a lot of jokes and a lot of memes about their ability to keep clean sheets recently, and I've uh, playfully replied to them, quote retweeted them, saying, "Give us the secret because we would love to know what it is, uh, you know, the key to keeping so many clean sheets because they've kept so many uh, in the Bundesliga, coming off of one once again uh, and their 2 0 win over Hertha Berlin over the weekend. And I'm really liking the defensive line of Mbabu, uh, Maxence Lacroix, who I've used quite a few times in my fantasy team, Otavio, Pangracic." I love Yannick Gerhardt in the midfield. I think he's having a fantastic season playing behind Veghorst or Jake, as I know. You know he's one of my favorite non-Bayern Bundesliga players, the Flying Dutchman. Uh, so I think, personally, I can picture this one going into extra time and very, very low scoring, either 0-0, 1-1, and then going into penalties. And as we know, we'll get into Leipzig's misfortunes against Liverpool and Budapest in the Champions League. But... You know, most of the goals that Leipzig is conceding at the moment are, are made of their own doing, errors they've made. So it'll be interesting to see this chess match unfold and see if Wolfsburg is able to, to catch out Leipzig and if they're able to keep another bestowed clean sheet. Because uh, Leipzig are a force to be reckoned with going forward, and they are breathing down Bayern's neck uh, in second place in the Bundesliga table. So that is what we can expect out of the day of Bay Pokal this week, games on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, we are going to take a quick break now, but when we come back, we are going to take a look at the German team's performances in Europe. Stay with us. And now we are back here to talk about how everybody else other than Bayern Munich did in Europe, because as we all remember, Bayern Munich won their first game against Lazio in such an aggressive fashion that they may not even need to play the second leg can't be the same case for other teams that were in this league. Uh, so we can start there, I guess. We can start in the Champions League. Uh, Borussia Dortmund winning at Sevilla with three away goals. Leipzig and Borussia Mönchengladbach both losing 2-0 to English opposition in Liverpool and Manchester City, respectively. Funny enough, both games being played in Budapest because the German government did not allow Liverpool or Manchester City to fly to either Leipzig or Mönchengladbach and play their games there, so they had to export their games. A little bit shocking that Leipzig didn't do as well considering their goalkeeper Peter Galashi is Hungarian and one of their captains and centre-backs, Vili uh, Orban, is also Hungarian. Both of them played in this game and both of them did not have the best game. So let's start with the two losers of this round, at least. 2-0. They have games in Manchester and in Liverpool, Tom. And you can brag a little bit about your beating of Leipzig, of course. Do you think that there's a chance for either of them to crawl out of this in any way, considering they're not only down two goals, they're down on away goals as well? Leipzig, yes. Uh, Minchin Gladbach, not so much. I think Anyone who has any football sense will tell you that Pep Guardiola's Manchester City are in probably the best form in all of Europe right now. That's not to discredit Bayern at all, but obviously we've dropped some points. Uh, in fact, recently, of course, we didn't have Serge Gnabry available. We had Thomas Muller uh, out with his coronavirus case, and he, he's just returned in emphatic fashion, you know, assisting Lewandowski 14 seconds after coming off the pitch. But in in that sense, Jake, I, I even know I'm a Liverpool fan, and I could sit here and uh, be bashful and be very boastful uh, of Liverpool and kind of knock the uh, Bundesliga a little bit. Obviously, I'm not going to do that. And I'm a football realist in that sense, especially with the, the defensive crisis, the injury crisis that Liverpool is going through. So when I watch this game, we all know uh, a very rare mistake from Sabitzer, a poor back pass, fell right to Mohamed Salah, who tucked it in. Not much Gulashi could do 1v1. Uh, and kind of a similar circumstance for Sadio Mane's goal. I believe it was uh, Mukiel and Upamakano who were in retreat. Mukiel had kind of swung uh, for a long ball that had taken a bounce, and he kind of whiffed, and Mane was right there. And 
slotted it home 1v1 versus Galashi. And, you know, Leipzig had their chances in this match. I can remember Angelino cutting a couple of shots that he had uh, from either corner of the box. Uh, Danny Olmo, if I recall correctly, had a few chances. So this wasn't as if it was Liverpool dominance and, you know, a Premier League club outplaying uh, a Bundesliga club. I think this was the scoreline perhaps flattered Liverpool a little bit. I think it was very level pegging, and those two, mis two mistakes automatically gift or inevitably gifted Liverpool two away goals, even though the definition of away in this is a little bit off. And Jake, uh, everyone will know uh, who follows Liverpool that we've since lost Jordan Henderson. So another option at center back that Jurgen Klopp has been using there, even though he's a central midfielder. And I got to be honest, I've been relatively pleased with uh, what Ozan Kabak has done for us since joining from Schalke. But watching Liverpool's win yesterday against Sheffield, there was a few occasions where he got spun by Ali McBurney, uh, McGoldrick, uh, Ali Burke, who came on uh, in the second half, who, by the way, it looks like he put on about 5, 10 pounds of muscle. He must have been on the Goretzka plan. I remember when he was at Leipzig himself and looked a, a little bit scrawny, but you know the mistakes are there. He's still not fully integrated with the squad. Klopp still hasn't used the Preston North End center back that we signed on deadline day. Uh, ben Davies, I know he had a little bit of an injury in there. Uh, I'm not sure if Fabinho will be back by the time leg two between Liverpool and Leipzig takes place, but Julian Nagelsmann should be looking at this and, and licking his lips. You know, the opportunity is there. They're going to have a yet again weakened back line that has already been weakened. Like we've been using for most of the season, two of our best midfielders at center back in Henderson and Fabinho. So, uh, Jake, as, as I said, looking at this holistically, there's a chance for Leipzig. They'll definitely see that uh, and realize the opportunity is there for the taking. You just have to expose any weakness that you can with this Liverpool team. And uh, they're very, very prone to making mistakes. And with Gladbach, you know, I thought the, the first leg was just more of Man City, you know, a Guardiola-esque team, as we know, just short passes, passing them to death, creating those open spaces, forwarding, forcing Gladbach to come out of their shell. Uh, both goals came from crosses uh, into the far post. The first one, uh, why am I now drawing a blank? I've just seen all these highlights. Oh, my God. Jake, <laughs> rescue me if you know who the first goal scorer was. But anyways, and then the second cross was a cross into the far post, headed to G Gabriel Jesus. Oh, Bernardo Silva. That's why I forgot. He's one of my one of the players I really don't like in the, in the Premier League at all. Uh, I'll spare every listener you know, my, my rant on Bernardo Silva, but it was he who uh, headed Man City to the lead in the 29th minute in that one. Gladbach had their chances, but organized defense for Manchester City made it very difficult. Allison Playa almost had that absolute worldy of a scorpion kick, kick type goal that uh, really had Ederson scrambling on his line. I really wanted that to go in, but it... Uh, as I said earlier for the Day of Bay call predictions, if I'm a betting man, Man City's going through on this, already being up 2-0 uh, on a way goal. So Leipzig, Jake, definitely has the better chance of pulling a rabbit out of a hat and making something of leg two. Next team we have to talk about, Borussia Dortmund winning 3-0 away to Sevilla. Three away goals is very crucial and very important, but... It is still only a one-goal difference between the two of them, and therefore really a two-goal difference between the two of them. It's very close, is what I'm trying to get at. This is not done by any way, shape, or form. Especially when you consider the fact that the two teams we just talked about had to relocate to a different venue. In the case that things don't improve, Tom, and Dortmund has to relocate their game somewhere else, God forbid, Budapest, do you think that they could have a little bit of trouble, right? There aren't fans. It's not a situation with fans involved, so it's not like it's much of a home field advantage at that point. It's really just a difference between how one team does their grass as opposed to another, which of course Chuck would tell us is very important. But do you think that they will be able to maintain this lead and maintain this win in the case that they have to go somewhere else. I'm not too superstitious. I'm only a little bit stitious for fans of The Office out there. I'm not sure if there's some kind of Hungarian curse that's been put on German clubs for all their matches in Budapest. Uh, but <laughs> I think, 
Jake, seeing what we saw from Dortmund in Seville, uh, and then their win over Schalke, their win over Bielefeld, I think that they you can play this match anywhere, essentially, and have Borussia Dortmund win. Um, I just think that they've they've struck a chord, as we mentioned earlier, previewing their match against Gladbach in the DFB Pokal. There's so many players that have really rediscovered their form: Sancho, Holland, uh, Mahmoud Ayoud, Marco Royce. Um, Gio Reyna, as we mentioned, I think that they'll do everything they can to to get this over the line, and, and I'm still going to back them. Uh, it sounds funny to to hear myself backing Dortmund when we've got a Derek Klassiker just a few days away, but I know I've mentioned on this podcast before uh, La Liga clubs in Europe. Sometimes I'm just not a fan of the dark arts, the embellishing, uh, and some of the tactics that they deploy. We've been on the receiving end of them. Plenty of times, especially me as a Bayern Munich and Liverpool fan, you know, a la our ties against Real Madrid, Liverpool's against Atletico Madrid, uh, Seville in the past, a couple of seasons ago. So uh, I would hope that Dortmund, and I have full confidence, I should say too, that Dortmund will get this over the line. Uh, and as you mentioned, Jake, that three goals of three away goals is massively, massively important. Um, and with the counterattacking flair that they showed in Seville, I think that's going to be on display again. The onus is on Seville to try and get the first goal uh, to to equalize the aggregate, so I'm backing Dortmund on this one, and I'll say another another brace from Holland. Why not? I know it might be a little bit weird to go out and voice your support for Borussia Dortmund, but you have to keep in mind, Bundesliga solidarity overall, especially when it comes to Europe. Thinking about that, Move on to the Europa League, and we can talk about Bundesliga disappointment as opposed to Bundesliga solidarity. For the first time since the 2013-14 season, when Eintracht Frankfurt got bounced on away goals to Porto over two legs in the round of 32, there will be no German teams in the round of 16, if you can follow that. What I'm basically trying to get as the only two German teams left in the competition got knocked out and both of them played very poorly and they should be disappointed and ashamed of themselves. So, we can start off talking about Bayer Leverkusen, who just did not look good in any of their games at all. End up losing 6-3 to overall, losing 4-3 to BSC Young Boys, to a Swiss team in the Europa League, Neverkusen strikes again. First leg, they gave up three goals in the first half, down 3 nothing. They tried to do a late comeback, but a BSC goal in the 89th minute made it 4-3. to And then in the second leg, they just kind of gave up 2 nothing loss for Leverkusen. And we can also talk about Hoffenheim, right? Now, we knew Hoffenheim were not as consistent of a team, and we knew that from their Bundesliga play. I did not expect for it to be as bad as it was. The first leg, the first half, I watched this game. This first half was all Hoffenheim. Unbelievably all Hoffenheim, right? They went into the half up 3-1. to one. Munas Dabor was having one of the best games of his career. And then in the 68th minute, he misses a penalty, and then the entire team looked completely different. They just utterly collapsed. Their 3-1 lead got Thanos snapped out of existence, and then it became a 3-3 draw. And then in the second leg, Molda... By the way, that was the team they were playing. They were playing Molda of the Norwegian League. Right? They lost to a team from Norway, and Leverkusen lost to a team from Switzerland. Uh, both very disappointing results. Uh, the second leg, Molda went up 1-0 by the 20th minute, and then they tapped in a security goal in injury time. In fairness, they did not start Andre Kramaric, who was possibly recovering from ankle trouble. And that was one of the bigger reasons why they couldn't play him in the first leg. So, Tom. How do we castigate these two on this podcast? How do we get to shame them without uh, being there in person? Uh, we can't Game of Thrones it and ring a bell while shouting shame right behind them. So... What, what happened? Like, I don't, I'm disappointed, right? Like, Hoffenheim, I can understand, right? They're a team that's a little bit inconsistent, as I just mentioned. But 
Bayer Leverkusen is one of the top half teams in this league. How did this happen? You know, I don't want to stupefy things and just sit here and say that you know, the lack of fans in this competition really makes a difference. You know, we spoke previously on, on previous episodes, I believe, about, you know, what even is an away leg, right? You have some teams playing at neutral sites with no fans, but regardless, how difficult is it now to play the away leg as the away team? Yes, there's travel, but we have to remember these players have, you know, state-of-the-art technology where they can be very, very comfortable traveling on planes, buses, trains, whatever it may be. You know, they're really taken care of, especially now to ensure that all the proper protocols are followed uh, and that no one's getting sick or perhaps transmitting something to somebody else and everything's being very, very clean, kept clean, et cetera, et cetera. So I think in a certain way, there's just a little bit of psychological uh, advantage to these these quote-unquote lower teams. I mean, on paper, you're obviously going to be backing Leverkusen over young boys without you know, knocking the Swiss side at all, and respectively Hoffenheim over Mulda FK, not to not to knock them, obviously. But I think there's a little bit of that. But even still, as you mentioned, Munyas Dabor missing that penalty just seemed to give all the belief in the world to Mulda that they could come back and do something. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, and with Leverkusen in the first leg, just, you know, dissecting that game, just two goals from set pieces in the first half. And I believe the third goal came off of an absolute whiff from Dragovic, if I recall correctly which played young boys right in, and it hasn't been easy that they've been missing Hradecki. Uh, Niklas Nolm has not had an easy go of it. He also made an error in the second leg when the ball kind of took an awkward bounce right from the byline, and he was back scrambling, couldn't get his palms to it, and young boys scored. And, you know, that that just kind of illustrates what the performances were like for both teams. And I, I think that... Yes, so that, that psychological a- aspect plays into it, uh, but it also works in reverse. You know, think about the psychology of the players on Leverkusen and Hoffenheim. You know, they're they're saying we're the the better team on paper. You know, we should be winning this. Like, how are we conceding these goals? And obviously, in the ebb and flow of a game, when you when you're thinking those things in the in the narrative, when the game's actually unfolding, it doesn't make things uh, any easier. You know, the mental character and the mental fortitude that has to be shown in those situations is very difficult to maintain and. Jake, as you mentioned, the second leg, Hoffenheim, did just completely bossed it, but Molda knew exactly what they were doing. Uh, having those three goals, sitting back, waiting for their opportunities to pounce. The goal came from the edge of the box. Oliver Baumann had a lot of difficulty seeing it, might have taken a deflection on its way in, and then they just sat back even more and more and waited for those counterattacks. And uh, obviously their second goal was essentially just when Hoffenheim were, you know, all hands on deck, pressed forward to try and find their way back to the game. That's how Molda scored their second goal. And it was kind of the same with uh, the second leg between Leverkusen and Young Boys. The first goal, direct ball right over the top. Leverkusen got caught trying to hold a high line. They got beat. Nicholas Lom, 1v1, not much he could do. And then same with the second goal. Uh, it was one of those situations where Leverkusen was pressing uh, to try and find a goal, to try and get something on aggregate and throw a last-ditch effort. But in the end... Not enough from either side. Very, very disappointing for the Bundesliga as a whole. Uh, now we have to put all of our all of our uh, eggs into one basket, so to speak, with the Bundesliga clubs and the Champions League. Uh, so hopefully we all progress to the next round. But yeah, disappointment from Leverkusen and Hoffenheim. Poor Seb Honus. Poor, poor Seb Honus. And I'll also say this. Back to my point that I talked about with Dortmund possibly not being able to host their second leg against Sevilla. Bayer Leverkusen played their first game in Switzerland, but were able to host their second leg on the 25th of February at the Bayer Arena in Leverkusen. The same could not be said for Hoffenheim, who played their first game at the Estadio Ceramica in Valencia. So, yeah. Uh, They were also a victim of losing away being a German team. German teams are 0-3 when they play Europa (laughs) knockouts elsewhere, I guess, other than finals. Jake, should we also use this time to make a little Arsenal joke since they've drawn Olympiacos once again? And how about Man Man United and Milan? That's a great tie as well. If Rafinha was still at the club, I'd be very happy about that. But he's no longer there. Missed opportunity. Very sad. So... 
with that, we are going to kind of start wrapping this up. And yes, it is around the 35-minute mark. And yes, we have not talked about a single Bayern Munich thing. Congratulations, we are here now. <laughs> we are now able to talk about Bayern stuff. And it is mostly about Joachim Löw trying to save his ass and his job as the head manager of the uh, German national team. And he, allow me to pull pull up the comments, right? I have a I have a notebook that I write everything down in. Right? This one I've left the same story open for over 24 hours because I want to make sure I quote this correctly. Uh from uh shout out to Aimea Sanmia for their tweet from this. So, Joachim Love opens the door for Thomas Muller's return. Quote, when you start an upheaval, you should never abandon it and go in a different direction. But the pandemic took away almost a year, so now you can really consider interrupting the upheaval if it's absolutely necessary. Then when asked about a possible return for not only Thomas Müller, but also for Jerome Boateng and former Bayern Munich center-back Mats Hummels, Love said, I think if we still need some additional percentage or some energy providers from a footballing or a leadership point of view, we won't exclude anything. I can promise you that. And when asked directly about Muller, he gave a vague answer saying, quote, if he's going to come back, I'll be in touch with him, adding that, quote, sometimes you have to improvise during a tournament, so you need a broad quality. So, uh, here's here's the rant part, right? The quote that I really took from that was, we won't exclude anything, I can promise you that. And to that, I would like to say congratulations, Joachim Love. I'm glad that you woke up from the very deep coma you must have been in in 2019 and waking up now realizing that you shouldn't have gotten rid of Thomas Muller. We won't exclude anything. How about the fact that you excluded three of your best players in each of their positions for months while you were trying to qualify for the European Championships. And it also has to be said that during those times, Thomas Muller and Jerome Boateng have had fantastic seasons. So, I'm glad that now he's deciding, maybe, maybe I might be able to bring them back. This is ridiculous. It's been a botch job from the beginning that he wasn't able to find some way to have Muller, Boateng, and Homos kept on for some leadership positions, or to inspire the kids, inspire the youths, as they like to say these days. Uh, no, you need to keep them in. You need to keep them into the team, and he should have had them on the team for a while now. And... <laughs> right? I understand that you might not want to start them. You might be able to start the other uh, kids against teams like, you know, Estonia. But when you showed up to the Nations League and you showed up incredibly poor, that should have been your first sign that you needed to bring all three of them back. And you didn't. And now you look a little bit foolish in our last international break for the German national team. So congratulations for finally realizing that you needed to do something but you didn't really have to do it in the first place. You could have been fine without having to ditch the three best players that you've had. And more so, you didn't have to be as disrespectful to them. If you wanted them to leave the team, you could have notified them that. And then you could have had a testimonial match for all three of them or three matches individually. But no, he didn't. And now he's deciding that they might be able to come back, which I'm happy for because that means they'll be able to play uh, a little bit more. And I'll also say this. If Joachim Love ends up going back on this idea, if he teases the idea of bringing out three of the better players in the German national team pool, one who's arguably the best in his position and has been the best in Europe in Thomas Muller, and he just decides, you know what, I really enjoyed teasing everybody at this. We're not actually going to do it. I'd fire him before the Euros if I could. And then inevitably, when they possibly crash out of the Euros in the group stages, 
because have you seen their Europa League group or their Euros group? It is stacked. They are going to have a tough time regardless whether or not they didn't bring Muller and Boateng. So if he goes into this and he says, I might, and then he changes his mind and they get knocked out, I don't know how you don't fire him. You have to fire him right on the spot if they don't get out and he decides to leave some of the best players of his roster back home. And add on to that, they're not even going to get selected for the Olympic team if they stay. They're just not going to take a part in either the 2021 Olympics in Tokyo or in the 2021 Euros, where both of all three of them could probably be pretty well put to use. So I hope that he actually does it, because if he doesn't, then it's just disappointing. And it just shows that he's basically been blind throughout all of this pro Bayern Munich, right? We are a pro Bayern Munich podcast, and these two are the better players that Bayern has had over the last two years. And if Bayern is the top team in Germany, bring the top German players. End of story. That's all I have. Tom, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to exhaust our listeners' ears with more Daft Bay, Yachim Love drama, but I'll say one thing. Obviously, he doesn't have a crystal ball to look into after the UEFA Nations League and in the spring of 2019 uh, when he decided to axe Müller, Boateng, uh, and Mats Hummels from the German national team. But the one thing I would say, I mean, I don't want to sit here and say that I'm an expert on the inner workings of the Daft Bay. I personally think there's uh, inward pressure uh, amongst the organization from perhaps his higher-ups, whether it be Bierhoff, whether it have been Grindle in the past, to do certain things, to shift into a new direction for a multitude of different reasons. As I said, I'm not going to try and preach and act as if I'm an expert on this. Uh, obviously, I don't think Joachim Love is a, is a person who lacks intelligence, but the one thing I would say is, Jake, we've had how many international breaks between you know, that faded week in March 2019 when he made the decision. I apologize if it wasn't March, but at some point in 2019 when he made the decision to ask those three guys and now countless opportunities to just at least, you had mentioned testimonial, just at least in a friendly, just try, right? Bring them back. Just try. See how it works with some of the younger guys in the squad because it's not going to look exactly as identical as it did for the UEFA Nations League or World Cup 2018 in Russia. It's not going to look exactly the same. Yes, it might be a little bit similar, but just try, right? I mean, how much better can Boateng and Muller be playing and likewise for Bayern and likewise Hummels for Dortmund for something to click in his head. I mean, when you were going on your rant, I'm like, oh, I don't know, maybe Joachim Love got out of bed one day and bonked his head and just something just snapped. And he's like, okay, uh, I need to start thinking this way. But just the fact that he hasn't given it a try and kind of come out and directly said, hey, we're going to try this. And if it works, it works. I'm going to keep them around and they're going to be in my plans uh, for this summer. Instead, he, he chose to do nothing and stick to his word and stick to his morals that he had come out and spoken about after the World Cup uh, in Russia and after the Nations League, which was a complete disaster show, as we know, for Germany. Um, and just by the longer he didn't entertain the idea of bringing these guys back, the longer he just created just a negative force of energy around him. It's very rare that you bump into fans now, uh, whether it's uh, American fans of the German team, German fans of the German team, or, or whatever, where they're very passionate and excited about the Mannschaft games coming up, right? It just always seems to be uh, swarmed and surrounded by controversy because of everything that's happened with Joachim Love and Müller and Boateng and Hummels and some of the decisions made by the Daft Bay. But keeping my fingers crossed, I really, really hope he can involve Boateng and Müller, or at least Müller, in his plans I think it would just be very, very unwise to leave him out, especially since this might be Joachim Love's swan song for Dimon Schafts uh, after this summer, even though he does have a contract that runs until, I believe, 2022. Don't quote me on that. It's always one of those things where I know it in my head, and then when we're recording the podcast, the, the small details seem to uh, go in one ear and out the other. But, yeah, that that's all I'm going to say about that, Jake. Something I will re-emphasize before I move on to possibly the most fun thing that we get to talk about. Um, since the 2018 FIFA World Cup, I mentioned this way back in October during the last international break. Uh, if you 
count every win that the German national team has, right, since getting knocked out of the 2018 World Cup. They have eight wins, eight draws, three losses. But if you take out the teams that haven't qualified for the last four World Cups, uh, then Die Mannschaft's record is two wins, seven draws, three losses. So he's not bringing out quality wins, and I'm not saying that they're entirely losses because of those three players being eliminated, but I'm not saying that they wouldn't have helped because they definitely would have. Now, next thing we get to talk about, we finally, finally get to talk about what the heck has been going on at Schalke over the last week. So, to recap for everyone that isn't aware, right, there's been a rebellion from the inside with all of Chalka's uh, players wanting to remove their head coach and the sporting director who, keep in mind, they already fired David Wagner after two games in charge. And then they had another interim manager that they fired and then they had an interim manager for one game. So he doesn't necessarily count to the total. And now they have Christian Gross. The weirdest thing to me is that the rebellion was supposedly led by Shokhtran Mustafi, Klasjan Huntelar, and Sead Kolasinac. All three of them are players that they signed in January. Huntelar was talked out of retirement, who previously played a lot of games for Schalke, and Kolasinac has played games for Schalke before, but the most vocal out of all of them was Shokhtran Mustafi. On a team that he just joined, that he never had any ties to beforehand, he's been there for a little over a month, and he's already been the most vocal person criticizing their head coach. I just find that a little bit weird and a little odd. Uh, Mustafi, after a big loss this weekend, uh, said the players, coaches, and physios need to do their job. Uh, I saw a funny tweet from Archie Ryan Tut who said that in that quote, he said players, coaches, and physios need to do their job, including the bus drivers. And then Archie, on his way out of the stadium, saw the Schalke bus driver not wearing his mask properly. So, a little bit funny. So, what's the aftermath? Head coach Christian Gross, sporting director Jochen Schneider, team coordinator Sasha Reiter, and head trainer, uh, head physio, basically, Werner Lutard, were all fired. Right? Schalke is about to hire their fourth head coach in the same season, which ties a Bundesliga record. I forget which two teams hold. I forget which one of the two teams hold. I know it's Schalke and Hertha, and then I forget the third team. Uh, but in what might be the most perfect anecdote for all of this, the new sporting director on an interim basis is the uh, Knappenschmiede's technical director. The Knappenschmiede being uh, Schalke's academy. Their technical director is Peter Gnabel. And if you don't know who Peter Gnabel is, he was the former sporting director at Hamburg, famous for Backpack Gate. And if you don't know what Backpack Gate is, basically what happened is Gnabel was in a park and he left a backpack full of team credit cards, player contracts, and internal documents on a bench. And when somebody called Hamburg to give it back, uh, this person called like the front desk and she said, Hi, I have this backpack that says Haas Foul on it. And then they ignored her and didn't believe her. So she turned it over to the Hamburg press and then they got a hold of all of it. So. It is a perfect anecdote to have Schalke, a team that is destined for relegation at this point, being headed by a man whose most noteworthy accomplishment in his life was being the subject of a massive media frenzy in his former employer's home city because he misplaced something that had massive financial implications on the club. If that doesn't describe the situation that Schalke has played with the entire year, I don't know what does. Um, I'm a little bit 
giddy about all of this because I really don't like Shelka, and I've made that pretty well known. Um, but this is special. This is really special, and I really, uh, I really, really appreciate all of this happening right now. But anyways, Tom, Schalke's about to hire their fourth manager, tied for the most all-time. What are your thoughts on all of that? I mean, there's so much to this. Obviously, things like this, team implosions like this are, you know, a long time in the making it doesn't just a switch doesn't just get flipped overnight i would say i mean it's interesting that you're speaking about the the core players that have come in in the winter Kalasinec, Klasian Huntelar who i think actually might honestly be a good shout for a player caretaker manager at some point uh having you know spent so much time at the club previously uh and knowing the club in and out but you know, it's interesting. I remember looking on Derek Ray's timeline on Twitter, and he was talking about how Christian Gross, I believe, was talking to Swiss media, uh, and he was going on about how he felt disappointed. He felt that the club was moving in the right sporting direction uh, under his under his reign, and that uh, one regret he said perhaps not bringing in some of the players that they brought in in the winter, uh, and, and perhaps going with a, with a different hand in that respect. So it's funny to see that the internal rebellion was kind of led by that core group of guys. And, uh, you know, when this happened, I remember a few weeks back, perhaps even it was a month ago, that there was an altercation on the training ground between Naldo and I believe several other players that had gotten into it. So this has been a powder keg just waiting to explode and, you know, kind of circling all these thoughts together. I wanted to to kind of tie it back. Um, I remember reading extensively about this, Jake, and we had talked about a number of different things around this time last year, actually. Um, you know, I think, obviously, Schalke did not really have a choice in the removal of Clemens Tonys, you know, one of their financial backers, who I believe, if I recall correctly, was a chief architect of the club sponsor with Gazprom, you know, one of their biggest sponsors, which was a huge deal uh, at the time. But obviously, with the alleged racist remarks that he made they didn't really he didn't really leave Schalke in any position they had to let him go and you know there's no no place for that in football no place for that anywhere uh, and they made the right decision in doing so and when I was thinking about that I'm like we're if I recall correctly off the top of my head Jake about a year a year ago we were talking about the unfortunate incident that happened in Gelsenkirk and with Hertha Berlin's Jordan Tarunaragria. Apologize if I'm mispronouncing his name, but just to recap, obviously. Tarunariga. Sorry, it's a difficult one. And, it's okay. I'm um, used to hearing it from uh, Derek Ray or, you know, uh, Phil Bonney with the with their Scottish and English accents, respectively. But, you know, that was the incident where he was receiving racial abuse from the Schalke fans in Gelsenkirk and was very upset, visibly upset. Uh, threw down one of the crates that holds the water bottles on the sidelines and received a red card for his reaction, even though he was saying, listen, ref, you know, listen to what they're saying. How can you put up with this? And then the club basically came out, put put out some blanket statements saying that they were going to crack down. And Jake, I think you can agree that nothing really of any real substance materialized out of that. So, uh, you know, just taking all these things in consideration for a club that not very long ago finished in the top four to where we are now, it just like has been one thing after another. And it eventually was going to get to this point. Obviously, coronavirus didn't help with anybody's financial situation and just all the players they've lost. We could go down a list. Kabak this winter, McKinney uh, to Juventus in the summer, Alexander Nubel, obviously, to Bayern, Daniel Kalajiri to Augsburg, Cedric Touchat to Union Berlin, Bergsauer to St. Pauli. I mean, there's so many. Rudy back to TSJ Hoffenheim. So there's just so many things that go into this. And I feel bad for Schalke fans out there. I really do. But, I mean, maybe getting knocked, relegated to uh, the two-league will be the best thing for them and trying to, to, to build themselves back up, I guess. Those are my thoughts on that. I know it's kind of uh, everything packed into a little bit, but that's that's just what I'll say about that. My other hope is that this will lead to a couple of more players from the Kanapenschmiede, as I mentioned, to be used more often. Because I think, considering the age of this Schalke squad, a bit of youth might exact be exactly what they need. And Americans were all concerned, I guess, for Matthew Hoppy and what is expected of him. I'm of the opinion that playing in the Zweite League is not that bad. 
for Matthew Hoppy. He might be able to go off and do very well. Uh, I just wish he was playing on a different Zweitzelmiga uh, team and just not Schalke. But, um, yeah, I think Zweitzelmiga time might be good for him. Uh, final point that we get to talk about before we head off, and before we do that, we'll take a look at what we can expect in the Bundesliga this weekend. Uh, something very near and dear to Thomas. Jurgen Klopp, possibly going to be the next manager of Die Mannschaft. I want it. I desperately want it. What are your thoughts? Well, it, it's funny. You know, everyone who has followed Klopp's career, and if you haven't, I think you should go back and look at it. You know, whether it's Mainz, Borussia Dortmund, he has kind of this sixth season slump where it's just the sixth season at either club. It just did not work out. And then, of course, in the seventh season at Borussia Dortmund, he wound up leaving, taking a sabbatical before uh, becoming Liverpool manager in the 2015-16 season. And it's just, I don't want to, like I said before, quoting The Office, I'm not superstitious, just a little bit. You know, I think a lot of that is coincidental. I think you can't take anything away from his coaching pedigree and, you know, the titles he's won for both Liverpool and Dortmund and promoting Mainz into the Bundesliga when he was there. But just everything has gone against him. Coronavirus, the injuries that he's that he's had to deal with, perhaps his coaching style and his quote-unquote heavy metal gegenpressing style of football doesn't necessarily be kind to the muscles. So there's obviously a higher susceptibility for those types of injuries. Uh, Liverpool fans out there or fans of the Premier League or just fans of Jurgen Klopp will remember when he first came to the club, Liverpool players were popping up with hamstring injuries like left and right. He had a famous quote. When he was talking about that, he said, ah, yes, hamstring is the S word for us. And I think you can know what word I'm using. Uh, it happens to start with an SH. But anyways, yeah, we, there's just so many muscular injuries in the beginning. So that hasn't helped, especially this season with the amount of injuries he's had to face. Uh, and, of course, it comes on the heels of winning Liverpool's first Premier League title in 30 years, uh, which was an incredible thing to experience. But... Naturally, uh, especially as a German, obviously I don't share that with Jurgen Klopp. I'm not a German myself, but I think personally that deep down he wants this as well, perhaps with a little bit of a sabbatical between life at Liverpool uh, and, and Die Mannschaft. As a Liverpool fan, just everything he's brought to the city and the club, his intensity, the fist bumps at the cop end after matches and before matches, you know, I could literally cry tears of joy reliving all of those moments that I've luckily been able to to witness as a Liverpool fan, but everything, you know, has an end. There's actually a famous saying in German, I don't know how it goes, but he's actually said it before, you know, everything has an end except the sausage it has too. So <laughs> his time to Liverpool will come to an end. And naturally as a fan of him, as a person and as a man, um, I would I would love to see him as Mannschaft manager, uh, whether it means he leaves Liverpool a little bit earlier than I would I would like. Um, you know, I trust I trust him as a man. I trust him as a person. Um, you know, unfortunately, he had to deal with the loss of his mother not too long ago and not being able to travel back to Germany because of COVID restrictions. But I trust him. I trust his heart that he'll make the right decision uh, at the right time. And, you know, if he does decide to uh, take a sabbatical or jump right from Liverpool to become Die Mannschaft manager, best of luck to him. And come on, Klopp, I would love to see it. Here's why I especially want him to go. Jurgen Klopp is my favorite manager in the entire world. And I don't want to be a bandwagoner and support Liverpool just because Klopp is there. So I want him to leave and come to the team that I actually legitimately support. So that way I'm entirely happy about all of it. Right. And I honestly don't see Klopp staying at the German national team for a very long time. In fairness, I believe that he really does love the club game and... It's a little hard, I guess, sometimes not being able to constantly play games week in and week out and just being to every single stadium in Germany and watching every single one of the best players in your country play week in and week out. But eventually, if slash when Hansi Flick decides to go elsewhere, I would love for him to take a look to the south and to Bavaria, because, dear Lord, that would be one of my dreams come true if Jurgen Klopp ever ended up becoming the manager at Bayern Munich. I would cry tears of joy. 
the day that it happens. Because my favorite man, I guess, arguably, with him and Thomas Muller, they're my two favorite Germans in football, period, end of story. Uh, if if that was the case, I'd be very, very happy. So, that is the end of this episode. What we get to look forward to this week, Friday, we have a battle between the bottom two, Mainz uh, going to Gelsenkirchen and playing Schalke. Uh, ninth place, but we should mention Gladbach playing host to Bayer Leverkusen in sixth place. Fourth place, Eintracht Frankfurt playing host to 10th place, Stuttgart. 15th place, Hertha Berlin playing host to 13th place, Augsburg. Eighth place, Freiburg hosting RB Leipzig, who sit in second. 11th place, Hoffenheim hosting third place, Wolfsburg. Bayern Munich versus Borussia Dortmund, a one versus five matchup being the highlight of the entire weekend. And then two games on Monday, 14th place Köln taking on Werder Bremen, who sit in 12th. And then Armenia Bielefeld in 16th, taking on seventh place holders Union Berlin. So with that, we are going to wrap this episode up. I know this was a long one, but I think it was kind of worth it. Let me know if you think it was worth it too. Thank you all for listening. Please be sure to like, rate, share, subscribe, and download us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your quality audio content. Follow me on Twitter at Jefferson Fenner. Follow Tom on Twitter at TommyIM71. Follow the blog on Twitter at BavarianFBWorks. And be sure to check out the greatest and latest Bayern and German soccer content at BavarianFootballWorks.com. So until next time, where we have an episode of Dara Ausblick previewing Der Klassiker this weekend. We will see you all later. Auf Wiedersehen.